everybody. Man, I'm excited to be here. Uh, is anybody excited to be here with me? You know what I think uh, one of the best things about New Year's is, um, is that it offers us a new chance. You know what I mean? I don't know about anybody else, but I'm a collector of junk. You know what I mean? You, you kind of clear things out at the beginning of the year, and then you go back at the end of the year, and you're like, it kind of seeps back in. You know what I mean? That's kind of the way the human heart works. I don't know if it works like that. And one of the things you're going to do, if, 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 if you're going to hear any service from me, I'm going to be very, very open and vulnerable. If, you, if you're looking for a perfect pastor, he ain't the guy. I'm just telling you right now, I am God's work in progress. And uh, But you know what, though? I'm grateful to be in his hands. And I, I love the, the, the worship today because sometimes it's hard for me, at least, to believe that the victory is going to be simple sometimes. I don't, does anybody know what I'm talking about? They're like, man, I just, I know I heard it. Remember Gideon? I'd be, if, if I were any two people in the Bible, I'd be the, the, the illegitimate, illegitimate child of Gideon and Peter, if they could have a child. You know, I just, I heard the stories, but I just, I don't really see it like I normally see it. And, and by, by grace, he holds on to me. But, um, but I'm grateful because you know what? He does hold on to what he holds on to. This is not us holding on to him. I'm telling you this right now. Salvation is not me mustering up as much strength as I can to hang on to it. Because if that's what you're doing, you will let go. I'm telling you this biblically. You will let go of it. The world's currents are strong. Your flesh is extremely weak. And guess what? You have a determined enemy. We're going to talk about him today. That's ripping you, trying to rip you away from that. So let's just pray together before we start up. Father God, I just want to say thank you. Father God, you are our father. And you know what? You reminded me when I was singing today, there's no place better. This is the best place to be. And Lord God, you know, you're with me 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's always things that catch my eye. There's always something that whispering in my ear saying, this is better. This is better. Run away from this. There's too much weight in this. There's too much cost to it. Go over here. And you know what, Lord God, when I come into your presence, <laughs> I know it fully that you are the greatest thing that I could ever be in relationship with. You are the greatest person. You are the greatest creator. You're, you're beyond my explanation. But to be with you is the greatest thing I could ever be in relationship with. And Lord God, I just, uh, I want you to ring the bell, Lord God. I want you to ring the bell. You said it through the prophet Ezekiel that you would leave no stone unturned, that you would go throughout the world and you would find your elect from the north, south, the east, and the west, and you would bring them home. You said that you would pour your clean water on them. You said that you would give them a new heart and a new spirit and put your law within them, and they would want to follow you. You said you would do that. You said you would restore them. And, Lord God, we're counting on it because we know that you are not a liar. You tell the truth. And we trust in you and we hope in you. And we put all of our faith in you, Lord God, all that we can muster here and today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
I'm sorry, I forgot my sermon notes. Um, enough, another thing is I'm not technically advanced. So I write everything. This is my iPad right here. All right, so let's open up our Bibles to the book of Ephesians. We're going to learn uh, what it is, the, the, the aspects of sonship. There's 20 aspects of sonship in, 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 in our new life. So we're going to call these our new life resolutions. We're not going to learn 20 points today because that's just going to be an impossibility to do. We're going to learn two of these things today. But we're going to hit these home all the time because these are fundamental aspects of my relationship, a victorious relationship that I have been saved to in Jesus Christ. So in the book of Ephesians chapter 4, it says this um, in verse uh, 4, chapter 1, Paul speaking, he says this. As a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to live a life that is worthy of the calling that you have received. Be completely humble, gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. For there is one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There is one Lord, there is one faith, there is one baptism, there is one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Boy, that's a unifying statement right there. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. He is our king. And that's why it says, when he ascended upon high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ came to restore the whole universe. He is in a process. It is a mystery. Now, we got to understand that a mystery, as the Bible teaches us, the new life mystery, is it's known. We can see it. But because we don't have perfect eyes, we can only see portions of it. We have to wait until he grows it to its fullest, till he perfects us so that we can understand the fullness of God's plan. But the ultimate end is this, that Jesus Christ will conquer every enemy of God. He's going to conquer. He's going to put them under his feet. He's going to win them. He's going to fill the whole universe, and he's going to cause every tongue to speak his name, and he's going to cause every knee to bow before him. That's what his promise is. And he starts with us. This is what he gives us. So this, he says, it was him who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors, some to be teachers, to prepare God's people for, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching by the cunning and crafty deceitfulness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, we speak the truth in love. That's what you're going to hear. We're going to hear this all the time. Every time one of the brothers comes up and speaks, we're speaking the truth in love. And sometimes, because we live in a real world here, sometimes you're going to hear things that are going to kind of press against things you don't want to hear. You're gonna, have you ever been to church and gotten where it's like something gets pressed on you? And you feel a little bit flush in your face. You feel a little bit angry. You feel a little bit hesitant. Or you even want to push away. Well, that's the truth in love. But ultimately this, love has to be the, 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 the motivating factor. I don't want to stay too long. So here he goes. He's listening. The craftiness of man, instead of we speak the truth in love, we will in all these things grow up into him who is the head. This, he is the Christ, 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, so like I had said, there's 20 aspects to sonship, true sonship. You're like, well, I'm a girl. That doesn't matter. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are an adopted child of Jesus Christ. That's what he came to do. You who are far off, God the Father purchased you through the blood, through the perfect life of his son to become an adopted child. Now you are a legal member of his family. Legal. That means nobody can say to you, you don't belong. No, you could say, no, no, no. It wasn't me who chose to be here. It was my father who chose to be here. He was the one who picked me. That's what Ephesians tells me in the very first chapter. It was him. It was the counsel of God. God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit made a decision to save certain people. And we were those people that were called. So remember that. So there are 20 aspects of sonship. All right, listen. Historically speaking, the easiest way for us to lose a war is to be in a prolonged battle with no clear objectives and goals. First, I want to say this. We have to remember we're in a war. If you're living Christianity and you don't think you're in a war, you, you might not be living a Christian life. The second thing we need to know about this war is that we cannot go to war if we do not fully understand our adversaries. You have to know your enemy. If you don't know your enemy, you are doomed to get tripped up and thrown off all the time. We live in a hostile environment. I know that some people would say that I'm pessimistic, and I would agree. I would agree. I, I don't oftentimes see the golden road at the end. That's why I struggle in faith so many times. But that's why I'm grateful for salvation and not religion. So at the end of the day, yes, I do do that. But I'm going to tell you this right now, just from me to you, it's going to get harder to be a Christian in this country. Put it in a book as if I were a prophet. And I'm not talking 10, 20 years down the road. It's inside the city gates. Two years. Two years. We are going to look at a vastly different United States in a vastly different globe. It's moving. All you got to do is pay attention to the news. That's all you got to do. We live in a hostile environment, and we are in this in hostile environment with determinable, determined and formidable enemies. Our enemies are not who we may think they are. The enemy of God's family is not a political party, as sometimes I have failed to think. It is not a governmental system. I'll say that out loud. I do not trust our government. But they're not my enemy. Our enemy is not one ticket. It's not a cultural current, as we're led to believe. Our enemy is not one, tic one particular person or a group of people. That's failed human thinking. When you look at the example of the New Testament, when Jesus ministered, Israel made that mistake. They thought Rome was the biggest problem and the biggest opposition to a prosperous and free life. Jesus came to tell them, Rome ain't your problem. You know what he wanted to tell them that they wanted to kill him for? Your biggest problem is not an outside oppressor or uh, a persecutor. It's an inside saboteur. I want you to hear that again. It's not an outside problem. It's not someone who brings problems upon us. Our greatest enemy is the one inside that wants to saboteur, to be a saboteur in your life. That leads us to our second enemy. Mankind's greatest enemy to itself has always been itself. 
I mean, you don't have to be religious to know that that's true. Just become a history student. People just love to hurt themselves. That's what we do. It's always been, and it's always been, and it always will be. The, the second enemy is in the angelic realm. It is an organized, hostile, angelic army. I know that that sometimes makes people very uncomfortable, especially the more educated we get. We think that this is kind of hyperbole or it's myth. It's kind of mythized. Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Bible clearly tells us that there's an angelic realm. There are angels that are portioned off to God, and there are angels that have rebelled against God, and they are formidable, and they are organized, and the ones who are hostile are hostile toward you. They're, they're hostile toward you. There's one who oversees all of them. The elect have an adversary known as the accuser. His objective is to cause us to lose our balance. His job is to knock us off our step footing. That's what his name is. The, the word devil is the word diabolos. That's the Greek word diabolos, where we get the word bowling. He wants to roll himself in us. He wants to roll circumstances at us. He wants to push things in our past so that we're kind of doing one of these numbers. Because over and over, we're told to stand firm in the victory of God. Over and over. That's what God tells his people. Don't march forward. Stand right where you're at. Just stand there. Lock your shield with your brother in Christ and stay there and I will fight your battle. That's what he tells us. Over and over. But the enemy wants to throw these things in our path. Let's move forward. He's a formidable enemy, and his most effective weapon is by far and away deception. In John chapter 10, Jesus tells us that he is a sower of lies. When he speaks, he speaks lies because that's his native language. You know anybody in your life or have ever known anybody who's just like, just a really great liar, whatever they said. You might even actually like them, but man, all they ever do is lie to you. Well, that's him. And you know what the most effective lies are? You know, the ones that are kind of sprinkled with a little bit of truth. So that's what the devil does. He doesn't tell us these outlandish lies. He tells us half-truths and half-lies. And guess what? Because we are who we are, we have a tendency to agree with them. We think, we're like, well, I know God's telling me one thing, but I, I, I've experienced quite another. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? All right. Our enemy uses our natural inclination to rebel against God. Now you think to yourself, I'm not a rebeller against God. Yes, we are. We are naturally rebellers against God. We are naturally distrustful of him. We have been saved to come out of that, but it's still going to be a struggle. We are naturally rebellious against God. We just don't trust him. We think to ourselves, we're better at managing our life than he does. Tell me you don't struggle with this on a weekly basis. We all do. He uses our inclination to rebel against God, our distrust of God, and our emotional and psychological weaknesses to get us to act opposite of God's clear direction, his clear revelation, and his clear will. This then sets forth a chain of events. What's the first thing? It creates cycles of dysfunction and disorder. People influenced to act out of a flawed self-interest have a tendency to injure other people who then create others who injure other people. 
You understand what I'm saying? So Satan uses the frailties in one person and a lie mixed into that person to hurt someone. Then that person hurts another person, and then that person gets hurt by that person, and it gives birth to another set of hurts, and it just keeps going down the road. That's why we are where we're at in society. Satan uses the willful acts of disobedience to affect and influence others to act in willful, destructive, and disobedient ways. It is an endless cycle of behavior in the Bible. From the opening pages, we see how the sins of the prior generation are always passed down to the next generation. And each and every generation that gets it adds to the dysfunction they had sub subconsciously and consciously taught. You know what? You, you, you want to see the craziest part? Of, to me, it's the craziest part of the Bible. It's in the opening. It's the book of, uh, it's the book of Genesis where you talk about, um, it starts with Isaac, Esau, and Jacob. And there's dysfunction there, right? Because why? Abraham, the father of our faith, taught dysfunction. Guess what? Isaac picked it right up. And he then taught it to his kids. And he had one favorite, Esau, over Jacob. And this caused Jacob to be naturally hurt and went right along with his brokenness. And this guy was a scoundrel, man. You read the book of Genesis. If you like Jacob in the beginning, then you would have hanged with Jacob. I didn't like Jacob. I do not like Jacob. But now I feel sorry for Jacob. Because Jacob was orphaned. And guess what he did? He did the same thing to his 12 sons who became a group, a gang. They were scoundrels, murderers, rapists. These guys were bad news. But I want to tell you something. God still chose to use them in the family tree to bring Christ into this world. That's a crazy truth, but it's the truth nonetheless. So each and every generation adds to the dysfunction that they are subconsciously and consciously spot. You're going to write something down. This is a great thing to write down at the beginning of the year. Satan's battle plan in your life is simple. He wants to sow and nurture seeds. One of doubt, one of fear, one of resentment, and one of anger. And you know it doesn't take you too much effort or energy for you to come up with a list about those five, four things. Does anybody give me an amen? Don't let me preach up here in the wind. Because of the frailty and the inclination or tendency of human beings to rebel or push away, because that's what rebelling is. It's just me going, I got it. I got this. Just kind of let me do this. I got it. And he's like, no, no, you don't got it. You think you got it. You think you know more than you do. You've always thought you know more than you do. If you would just listen to me. But because God is who he is, a perfect father, a loving father, he lets us. He lets us burn our fingers. He lets us break ourselves. He lets us run right into thorn bushes. So he gets, Satan uses doubt, fear, and resentment and anger to produce within us destructive ways, listen, of self-protection and self-provision. That's what he does. That's how he uses sin. That's how he perpetrates his kingdom on earth. He uses one failed person to do one failed thing in your life so that you then learn failed ways to protect yourself. Bam, bam, bam. Or grab what you want, snatch. That's what we do. That's why he wins so often. Listen, let me show you. It's a brief list, not exhaustive, but it's a brief list. How does he use doubt? Doubt in the life of believer will cause us to pull back and away from God's will. And what is his first will for you? That you come and be within the body. 
When you're a believer, you come up here, you say a prayer, you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you don't just come here till you're baptized. You come here every single Sunday. Without, I mean, you could go on vacation, you could do all that stuff, but every Sunday, unless there's reason, you're here. You know why? Because at the end of work, you go home, right? Because that's where you belong. Jesus is saying, I took you from out there to be in here. This is now your family. Come be with your family. Don't find excuses not to be with your family because doubt will cause you to try to find reasons to not be here. Okay? How does doubt also work in our life? It causes us to look at the potential cost of what God is offering us. We'll look and we'll go, well, I know what you're offering and I believe what you're offering, but man, that seems like it could really, really be expensive. To which Jesus would look you square in the eye and go, oh yeah, <laughs> it's going to be expensive. I'm just telling you it's worth it. So we have to do that. We have to remember that doubt is always going to want us to cause us to pull back or pull away. How does he use fear? He causes us, it causes us to self-protect and defend. How do we defend ourselves? Two ways. We either run away or we fight. Bam, bam, bam. Who's a fighter here? I'm a fighter. Man, get disrespected. Get back into a corner. You'll see who you are. And you know what? Here's the thing. When I don't think I can win, I'm trying to look for a door. I'm trying to look for mental escapes. There's a million ways to escape. That's how he does it. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Preach with me. Third thing. He will use resentment. How does he use resentment in the life of a believer? He will call, use resentment to cause us to justify attitudes and motives that we intuitively know are wrong or dangerous. We will have ideas in our life that we're like, man, I know that this isn't good. I know it's destructive. I've seen the evidence and the, and, and the production of its destructiveness. But at the end of the day, I've got reasons. I've got reasons. One of the things in the body of Christ is we are supposed to pray about those resentments. I'm supposed to have a, re a relationship with you that's so personal that I can tell you my junk. That I don't have to come in here and paint myself up as a Christian. Oh, I'm blessed, brother. I'm highly favored. Yeah, you sure are highly favored. Jesus Christ has called you. We ain't even debating that. But are you broken? Oh, I'm broken. Because that's the best thing you could say before Jesus Christ. The Pharisees were like, I don't need you. I got it all good. And Jesus is like, great, I came for the sick, not you anyway. That's the truth. So resentments. Resentments are something that he uses. And finally, anger. How does he use anger in our life? It allows us to act in ways that protect our pride. I was just talking about Brother Jose about pride. Pride is one of those things. It's got a million and one faces to it. It's a million and one faces. Sometimes it doesn't look like, look at me, how fantastic I am. Sometimes it could be, I don't need nothing from you. I ain't taking nothing from you. It's me. You know what? I see it all the time. Christians who are like, yes, I've got the Bible. It's me and Jesus. And I go, you're not reading it good enough. Because I'm telling you, if you're reading that Bible, this is indispensable. You think you could be a believer in Christ and not be connected to this church? You have not read the Bible. The Spirit is not guiding you. There is no Christian who's a solo Christian. It ain't in the Bible. It's just the way it is. Now, I'm not yelling and I'm not being mean. I'm just telling the truth. 
Anger will cause me to protect the core of my greatest treasure, which is where my value is found. The Pharisees hated Christ because they liked the esteem. Jesus came in and threatened their place. So they said, I'll hate you for trying to take that away from me. Whatever our core is, anger will cause us to do things to protect it. So this is how the enemy works in your and my life. All right, listen to this. The number one target of, of Satan's lies is God. It always has been. It always will be. You can write that down. Write it in your Bible. When you read something in the Word, if you don't understand it, the best thing you do is go to your father and say, I don't get it. If you don't believe it, because sometimes I'll believe it, I'll read it and I'll go, I know it's true, but I still don't believe it. I'll say to him, help me in my unbelief. That's one of my repetitive prayers. Help me in my unbelief. I believe, but I don't believe enough. Because if I believed enough, I sure wouldn't act differently. So write this down. The number one target of Satan's lies is God. He wants to lie to you about who he is, what he cares about, and what he's after. He wants you and I to distrust God. He got Israel to do it. Did Israel lose salvation? Because they had it. Did they? Did they just lose it? No, they were never awakened to it. They distrusted God. And over thousands of years, they learned to be as religious as you could possibly get. On the outside, they looked impressive. But on the inside, they worshiped God with their mouths, but their hearts were far from him. Because it's scary to be in relationship with God. God is not tame. God will look under your sheets. God will go in to your closets. And he'll go, hey, man, what's in that room? Oh, no, Jesus, they're going that room. No, 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 let's go in that room. And he wants to do that. And you know what? Here's the thing. You can't do it without the person sitting next to you. This is the way it works. Number two, the second target of his lies is you. He wants to lie to you about who you are and what's most valuable in he will sow all sorts of lies to you about you. Sometimes he will lie, sow this lie. No one cares about you. Another one is, you're worthless. Anybody hear those voices? Because I hear that voice all the time. Here's another lie he wants to sow into your life. You're damaged. You're beyond repair. Here's another one. No one loves you. Here's the one he's most effective with because it's his original lie. Look out for yourself because if you don't, no one else will. Here's another one. Don't die to yourself. You need to promote yourself. Your way is the best way. You are the best manager and the director of your life, not him. These are the lies that he wants to tell you about you. And he will do it in a million different ways. Just like we give up, he don't give up. Do you think that he's impressed with our profession of faith? He's not. He's seen people baptized through all generations. He's seen the greatest acts of faith, the greatest professions of faith. He's seen it all, and he is unimpressed. He is determined. He hates God so much, he's willing to use you to get at him. That's how he wants to do it. All right, because of the extreme brokenness of man, these lies are often sown into my heart by experience. Remember what I said, Satan uses broken and injured people to injure other people. 
humanity has, and the church oftentimes is a little bit like a dog chasing its tail. And how do you think dysfunction happens? Because we're naturally dysfunctional. And we're not hearing the word, and we're not with each other enough to where God is working in the midst of it. And we don't stick around long enough for him to affect the change. All right, the first of our new life resolutions. All right, are you with me? We will no longer ever see God as suspect, tyrannical, or a taskmaster. We will never do that. Because if we do that, we will always protect ourselves from God. See, Israel had a relationship with God. They're a prime example. Prime example. They had a genuine belief relationship with God. They believed and they sacrificed and lived like he was real. But they did not trust him. That's what he said through Jeremiah. He goes, you're drinking through poison cisterns. That's what I got against you. You believe lies and you want to believe lies. You keep drinking poison. When I'm telling you, you're drinking poison. And I'm trying to tell you it's poison. That's what he said. That's what he said to his people. Listen, many are tempted. All right, listen to this. Because we've never had perfect love this side of heaven, and you're never going to have perfect love this side of heaven. So that's another thing we got to get in our head. Never going to get it. As much as someone can be there for you, they're human beings and they have failure points. So they're never going to be, be able to meet your needs. That's why salvation is different. Because you have a father that has endless resources for you. Jesus says, those who receive me, they receive the spirit in such abundance, it spews forth from their loins like a spring. Even mud cannot stop what God brings up. When you're truly his, man, you could be really resisted. He will break every one of them down. He will find you when you are broken in the mud, and he will say, are you ready? Because I'm here to pick you up again. I've seen it experientially in my own life and in the life of others. So this, we're never going to get perfect love this side of heaven. Sometimes, listen to this, we may have even had the worst examples to show us what a father's love is. That's every generation, that's every people from the beginning of time on. Many are tempted, many are tempted to attach the defective and flawed characteristics of our earthly father and attach them to our heavenly father. If we had an aloof father, we will see God as aloof. If we had narcissistic parents, and guess what, we can, we will see God as narcissistic. If we had abusive or tyrannical parents, we will see God as heavy-handed and wanting to hurt us. If we had neglectful parents, and I'm not blaming parents, man. That ain't going to get us healed either. Man, we don't go in our past and go, let me point to the, the, to the origin of my, my flaws or my failures. That's only part of the journey. That don't heal you. Listen, man, if you had a neglectful parent, you will see God as neglectful. If you had an absentee or an abandoning parent, God will be absentee and he will be abandoning to you. Here's the worst. Here's the worst of them all. If you're a Christian and you're hypocritical and you won't admit it, because guess what? Here's another uncomfortable truth. We're all hypocrites, every one of us to the very beginning. You know what? Only those who are perfect all the time are not hypocrites. Is anybody perfect all the time here? Not me. So guess what? That means that I will believe one thing, say one thing, and act other ways. That's hypocrisy by definition. 
Now that's going to happen. And if you're a Christian and you don't admit that happening in front of your kids, you know what they will say? They will see God as either complicit or they will see God as non-existent. Admit your faults before your family all the time. Be an investigator of your own behavior all the time. Be quick to out yourself because God loves a broken and contrite heart. That's one of the things we can do in the new year. All right, if we see our Heavenly Father with these flaws, we see him as not good. If we see our Heavenly Father with defects, we will look for evidences to convict God. Even though we will believe in him, we will keep him at safe distances. There are far too many Christians that keep God at safe distances. How many Christians, I ain't talking to the ones sitting in these seats, were here six months ago, a year ago, two years ago. Where are they now? They learned to distrust God. Well, that's not fair, Tom. Okay, take it up with Jesus, not me. Man, a believer in Christ doesn't leave his family, ever. And if there's a reason to fight, you fight the right way. You fight like families that love each other and are committed to one another. You fight for the common good. You don't abandon you don't divide, you don't just walk away. Man, I hate when I see Christians go, well, I'm out of here. I'm off this ministry because I didn't, I didn't like the direction that it was going. And you know, as a matter of fact, I'm leaving new life. I'm like, what were you doing this for? You were doing this for you. That's not true. You don't know my heart. I go, yes, I do, man. It's clear to me. You were doing all this religious stuff so that you could point back at yourself and say, look at how good I've been doing. When you do that for Jesus, you know what you will find? Emptiness. Jesus will let you work for him. You will not get your reward in heaven. He says it. You get your reward on earth. That's what you want. You got it. Man, we are family. We are family. We are family. And we stick together like family. Can I get a applaud? And you know what? There's family members that ain't here that we should be calling back and go, hey, family, where are you at? I need you back. What do you mean I need you? I'll show you how we need them. All right, listen to this. The second part of the first one is this, our New Year's resolution, New Life resolution. We will always preach to ourselves and others God as a perfect Heavenly Father. Listen to what it says in Galatians chapter 4. You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. All of you who were baptized into Christ, you have clothed yourself with Jesus Christ. Therefore, now there is neither nor Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, for you belong to Christ, and you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to his promise. Listen to what he says in verse 4 of chapter 4. But when the time was ripe, when it had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the old law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive full rights as sons. Because you are sons, God sent his spirit of sonship into your hearts. It is by this spirit we cry out, Abba, Father. Man, I know you've all heard that before, but it's an amazing statement. It's an amazing statement. Listen, here's points of apportionment, the scriptures that we just looked at. First, we were purchased back from slavery to cruel masters. 
We were enslaved to the world we were born into. It mushed us into its mold. It's still trying to do it to this day. And Jesus is like, no, man, I, I saved you from that. I pulled you out of that. Here's another point. He saved us from our flesh. Well, why do I need to be saved from my flesh? Because it's fickle. Because it's easily dissatisfied. Because it's easily confused. Because sometimes it's willfully blind. That means human beings like to operate in denial. I know this isn't true for you. But we're not the church of the perfect. We're the church of the redeemed. We were saved from the devil who wants to trip us up, who wants to push us around, who wants to accuse you. That's what he wants to do. You know what I thought when we were sitting in worship? Have you ever treated me that way? Man, I could say God's awful things to you sometimes. You know how many times I say it would be better for you to not be dead? I say that all the time. It would be better for you to be dead. And I'm not joking. I say it a lot. Not as much as I used to, but I say it a lot. And you know what? He never says that to me. You know what he says to me? The opposite. He goes, I made you. I made you so that you could know my love. That's something we got to say to ourselves all the time. Another thing we got to remember is in this scripture, it says when the time was right. That means God's plan is not only perfect, it's perfectly timed. That means a healthy relationship with God and the body is not instant. It takes effort and it takes time. The fourth, third thing is we've been adopted, handpicked, handpicked. God handpicked you to be here. That's an important thing to know. You were deliberately chosen. You were brought in legally. You are, a you are not a natural child, but a legal child. You were obtained by God's deliberate decision and effort. And finally, we have been saved to an Abba Father relationship. That means this is the most affectionate term that could be used for our relationship with our Father. It means close, endearing, and loving and tender. Do you have that? Because I get tastes of it. But you know what I know? When I'm with saints that are... They're hungry for the presence of God. I feel it more than anyone else. I still feel it in my life. You know what we're going to do after, after the first of the year with everybody's agreement? We're going to meet once a week during this fasting time. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to do them together. We're not going to sit 25 feet apart. We're going to be close. We're going to feel each other sweat, heat, body heat, and smell each other's body odors. That's the way it's going to be. And you know what? We're going to experience God's love the way it's meant to be, up close and personal. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. That's what Jesus means when he says, if you lift me up, I will draw all men unto myself. Because there are people out there that are longing for that. And then they'll come in here and they'll go, that's it. That's the thing. So we've been called to a, a very, very intimate. This is our greatest heavenly inheritance. This is our consolation for all the things that costs us to walk with him. This is our comfort. This is our security. This is our greatest and our most effective balm of healing and restoration. He is our Abba Father. He is perfect in his perfectness. All right, I don't want to keep us going. We gotta, I get, can I give you five more minutes? I mean, I'm going to talk to you. All right, how does this affect my life in a practical sense? First of all, I have to remember that I'm redeemed. 
redeemed. That is, I was in the junk heap. He searched through all the junk, and he found me. Well, there it is. That's the one. Picks it up, picks me up, brings me back, washes me, and then he repurposes me. You know what? I lived for lots of stuff before it was Christ. I lived for me. I did. I lived for success. I thought money was going to do it. I thought good times was going to do it. I thought relationships with women, women who wanted me and loved me was going to do it. And you know what it did? It left me empty. It left me alone. It left me thinking, there's no satisfaction here on earth. But then when I met Jesus Christ, I kid you not, man, you know what I'm talking about. It all changes. It all changes. Am I perfect? No, not in any way, shape, or form. But I'm going to tell you this. He never lets me down. He's never going to let me down. He's never going to let you down. He's never going to let me down. That's the truth. My son one time, he was going to play that song at our church, and he goes, Dad, I need to know if that verse is true. And I go, for the elect, that's absolutely true. For the elect, that is absolutely true. So now, because we've been redeemed, we no longer use our vital energies on things that do not make sense. That means anything that we attach to anything other than God's glory does not make sense logically if we are spiritual beings and going to live with him forever. That means you're not just a mother, you're a minister of Christ to your children and to your husband. My husband's a jerk. (laughs) That's the way it works sometimes. But guess what? God wants to use your gentleness, your relationship with him, your submission to him to be a minister to that man so that whenever you think it's all over, he can go, I'm going to take that man and I'm going to claim him as my own. You know what? I saw it. I saw it happen two times. One time my friend, I could say it. She don't care. Her name is Karen Katz. Year and year after year, pray for my husband, pray for my husband. Pentecostal family, man. This guy grew up in a church. And you know what? He saw all hypocrisy. He saw it all. He's like, yeah, I believe in God. I just don't want nothing to do with it, man. You know? And you know what? Year after year, we prayed, 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 prayed. And here's how it worked. Here's how it worked. She submitted, 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 submitted. She had a deep, abiding, intimate relationship with the Lord. Christmas Day comes. He goes, honey, what do you want for Christmas? She goes, I want you to go to church with me. And because he was cheap, he said, great. I'll go to church because it ain't going to cost me nothing. Here's the gospel for the umpteenth thousandth time, and it makes him sob uncontrollably. The preacher says, do you want to receive the salvation that Jesus gave for you? He put his hand up and walked to the front, and in front of that whole church, received Jesus Christ. Never been the same again. Another person. This woman was out the door. Her husband was emotionally broken. I begged for this man to get in therapy. Would not do it. Bam, 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 keeping everybody off at a distance. Not going to have it. Not going to. Genuine believer in Christ. She's like, man, I can't do this no more. This guy beats me up. We're like, we get it, sister. We get it. We get it. We're praying with you. We get it. Staying there, staying there. What happened last year, October? Last uh, Christmas Eve, I go visit him. Man, you were this close, Greg. I go, kids coming to you and they're like i go why not they go hey you know i'm a minister i go guess what wife is out the door 
She sends me a message from my wife the other day. She says, see, you plan in our hearts the way you're going to go. God plans our hearts for us. He goes, I never would have thought I would have ever said this out loud. I am willing to do whatever it costs to get you to where you need to be. You want to see miracles? You can have miracles in Jesus Christ. Let's stand up. Let's stand up and worship our God, our perfect Father. The weapon may be formed, but it won't prosper. And when the darkness falls, it won't prevail. Because the God I serve knows only how to triumph. Because my God will never fail. My God will never fail. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. And you take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Yes, you do. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. We trust you, Lord. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. Because we're going to see a victory. We're going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord, it does. We're going to see a victory. We're going to see a victory. For the battle belongs to you, Lord. Because you take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. We declare this morning. You take what the enemy meant for evil. And you turn it for good. You turn it for good. All right, listen. We are one body. That means we need to be united. That means physically and spiritually. I want us all to, to, to join hands. Let's get as close as we can. Come across aisles. Let's come down that, right down that middle, that divide. There's not no divide. No divide here. Don't worry. Don't be, don't be nervous. Come on. Keep going over there. 
It's okay. I know it's going to be weird for everybody, but come on, come on close, please, please. We, you guys are here for a reason. God has brought you here for a reason. It's not a mistake. You didn't wake up in the morning and say, man, this is a good idea. I'm just telling you, I'm sorry. I know it makes you feel uncomfortable. I'm grateful you're here. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father God, we are, we are in awe. We have never been loved with a perfect love. And because we are imperfect, sometimes we doubt your perfect love and we think that we might do a better job at loving ourselves than you do. We confess it. But Lord God, now we need to be delivered from it. Lord, I know it's going to take a while. I know it's not going to be a snap of the finger thing and make it all go away. But I pray that you would make us through cycles and changes and times and weeks and through decisions made, empowered by the Holy Spirit, I know that you can lessen our grip on the dependency to self. Lord, I pray that this place we would be united as one body contending for the faith. I know that this is the place that is going to call out the dead from their graves. You will be lifted up here. You will be exalted. And Lord God, we can't wait to see your victory. So, Lord God, if there is anything that we can't speak right now because we're afraid we've lost words, we confess it to you. Lord, if there's anything that has captured our hearts, that is killing our soul, we ask you to wage war against that thing. Lord God, if there is an addiction, if there is brokenness within our family, if there is dysfunction, if there's tendencies to want to hate oneself and, and, and die, Lord, die from this world. I pray that you would wage war against these things. I pray that you would lift us up, that you would draw us unto yourself. Put us on your heavenly lap and allow us to lay at your breast. Give us the joy of your salvation. Restore us, forgive us, repurpose us, and give us that joy for your son's sake because he deserves it. And we pray this with one voice, in one name, Jesus Christ. All the saints said, amen. You have a great day today.